for this is their lot. How many people feel super encouraged by Ecclesiastes week after week after week? This is what we hear is King Solomon's lament, the teacher's uh, lament, the reflection of what the meaning of life actually is. What is the purpose of what it is that we're doing here? Like this is, this is the Bible, folks, the, the book that we claim to follow, the book that we claim to live, right? It's one of the most least preached books of the Bible, and you can probably see why, because most of us are like, I want to come to church and I want to be encouraged. But you need to remember that it's a whole book of books. The group of passages that we just heard from, they're they're a reflection from the teacher in Ecclesiastes specifically around the subject of work. Now, I'm assuming that most people in this room at one point or another in their lives have worked, have held a job, have, have done some type of work, whether it's compensated work or not compensated work. But most people in this room have gotten up in the morning and had a task, something to work at. And as we've been moving through Ecclesiastes, this series, this subject keeps coming up, doesn't it? His conclusions to everything seem to be that, that we should find joy in eating and drinking and to find satisfaction in our work. So this morning I want to explore what exactly does the teacher mean by this concept of work? Again, in our English language, we have these like blanket words, right? Like love. And love can mean so many different things. So can work. Now, before we, do, before we get deeper into this, we need to, to get our distorted view of work and vocation out of the way in order for us to actually grasp how the New Testament... So we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes. He's going to take the negative point of view, but we're going to move into the rest of the book, the New Testament, and its redemptive view of work. But we've got to strip away our distorted North American cultural view of work first. Now, as we move through today's teachings, it's also really important, folks, to understand that Ecclesiastes plays a very specific role in the scriptures. It's one book of many books, right? That's the way the Bible's laid out, one book of many books, and it's specifically one out of three books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs are the books of wisdom that we get. And Ecclesiastes, as we've probably noticed, is much more of the sort of negative book. It's the book of wisdom that essentially brings us to a place of honesty around life. I actually think that we struggle just kind of like being honest with ourselves. Like we try to sort of live in this bubble, this sort of this sort of place where we think culture wants us to be in order to be happy. And Ecclesiastes says, like, listen, if you actually reflect on some of this stuff, it's difficult. The meaning of life, the purpose of life, the things of life, like this is, this is Hevel, as we're going to hear about in a second real quick. And I also want you to remember, so not only is it calling us to honesty, to real true reflection about life, It's also the teachings of an old, wise king. 
An old wise king who's reflecting on the meaning of life and the meaning of humanity. But I also want you to remember that it's a king who has achieved everything that you're currently striving to get. He's got all the money in the world. He's literally the richest person in the world. He's got all the houses in the world. He has the best RRSP plan. He has everything. He has tried everything. So when we hear from this king, it's not just some old dude sitting on a throne in privilege. This is a king who's been through it all, who's seen it all, who's been given the wisdom from wisdom from God, not knowledge. We think that wisdom is knowledge. They're not actually the same thing. He is a wise king who's reflecting on how we go about finding meaning, purpose, and happiness in this life. So if we're going to hear from anybody, Solomon would be one of the wisest people that we could ever hear from. Now, for the sake of repetition, I want to quickly review some of the key points so far that we have been dealing with. And the best way to start that is to jump into chapter 1, verse 1, where he opens the book with the words. So remember, this is the narrator. This isn't the teacher speaking. There's two voices in this book. So the, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then he kicks it off wonderfully. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So right away, we're like, wow, okay, so what was the point of getting up this morning if everything is meaningless? What's the point of it all? But we looked at this word, meaningless, that we translate meaningless or vanity uh, in different translations, uh, the Hebrew word hevel. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into hevel. Uh, You can go back into previous sermons and watch all of that. But essentially what Hevel means is not really meaningless. We just don't have an English way of describing this without writing an entire paragraph. Hevel essentially is like a vapor or like a mist that, that comes up like out of your diffuser or something. And you can see it. You know it's there. You know it exists. But it kind of comes out like smoke, and then it just dissipates, and it disappears. And when we try to, to grab it, when we try to understand it, our hands just kind of pass right through it, and it's gone. That's what hevel means, folks. It's this vapor, this smoke, this thing that just can't be grasped, that can't be fully understood. In other words, so based on the past five weeks of four weeks, five weeks, long time, I don't know how long we've been doing this, whatever. (laughs) Essentially what he's saying is, is that everything in life is actually bound by time. It's not something we can completely grasp or something that we can completely understand. Life is actually much bigger than us. The world around us is much bigger than us. God is much bigger than us. And so we just, it's, it's hevel. We just can't quite fully grasp it. And just when we think that we have control over our lives or in our lives, we're throwing a curveball, so to speak. You ever tried to hit a curveball? Like if you're standing there and it's a right-handed pitcher and you bat right, the ball looks like it's going to hit you. And so you go, you kind of go to step out of the way and then it curves in for a strike. And we don't, unless you learn to adapt to that and you learn to see that and notice that and you learn to stand in there with faith, 
you'll never grasp how to handle a curveball. And so just when, when life, when we think we have it in control, we get this, this curveball, this thing that we can't control or understand. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes says that this, this in itself, this concept of life, it's hevel. It's something that we just need to accept as a mystery, that we are God's creation and the depths of life will never be fully understood by humanity. Like I said, this, <laughs> this isn't a positive book. It's not Solomon standing back and saying, well, if you just do A and B and C, it will lead to a wonderful life under the sun. That's not what Ecclesiastes does at all. It looks at the reality of life as we know it. That's what under the sun actually means. And it calls us to a place of honesty of not living in a bubble or in a cloud. And, and most of us, most of us know and understand, especially Christians, that, that today, our world today as we know it is not how God created it to be. Life as we know it is not how God created it to be. Because of our sin and our separation from the creator, like, but, like we know it's not the way that it should be, yet... We still keep striving and looking for happiness in all of the wrong places. It's like the definition of insanity. Generation after generation after generation, we keep trying the same crap that never actually brings us life. Ecclesiastes says that apart from God, finding true happiness is an absolute dead end. Now, there are a number of dead ends that the teacher talks about. Things like trying to control all the outcomes in life. He says, that's Hevel, that's a dead end. Chasing after happiness through pleasure, money, and material things. He says, that's Hevel, that's a, that's a dead end. None of that actually works. There's nothing but dead ends, he said. It's all meaningless. It's all hevel. Yet, one of the dead ends that the teacher keeps bringing up is really interesting to me. This concept of toil, of, of work. He speaks negatively about it. He's never speaking positive about work. He's speaking ne negatively about it. He, he keeps talking about work and then says, that's Hevel. And then he talks more about toil this and toil that. It's Hevel. Yet he also keeps pointing the reader back to finding joy and satisfaction in our work. So today, as I said, I want to take a look at this theme of toiling, of working, in Ecclesiastes. And if we jump to, to verse 3, which is right after the meaningless, meaningless, he gets, they get right into it, right off the bat. What do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? You see, this work under the sun, that phrase explains our current circumstances of how we experience life, how we experience toil in the here and now. 
And so he's saying, like, what do we gain from all of our labors? Most people right away when I asked that question, if we were doing a Bible study or something interactive, they would say, well, I work to get a paycheck. Like, I work to get paid. That's what most people do in a North American culture. They work to earn a paycheck so that they can live, so that they can survive. And the teacher actually says, well, yeah, duh. Of course you do. You work so you can survive. You work for a paycheck. You work to receive compensation for all that you work for. But this isn't actually what he is saying here. He's not reflecting on our compensation packages for our workplace. But what do we get out of our work beyond a paycheck to survive? So thinking through of how he's talking about toiling, he is not talking about working in order to survive. He's looking at work as what do we get beyond survival out of our Work. What is the gain, not just the compensation? Let, let, me, let me, basically, if he was just saying, you know, what's the gain? Oh, it's money. We would just be like ants. We just work to survive. Work, 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 survive, 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 and then get smushed by some human's big foot. So, so, like, do we really actually believe that we only work for compensation, that that's really how we're bent? There's this uh, psychologist named uh, Maslow, and he came up with a chart of, of kind of how human beings' needs actually are. It's called the hierarchy of needs, what we need as human beings. Uh, and it, it's human beings, he, he basically says, we're, we have similarities to ants, but we're much more complex than ants are. We don't only work to survive, we do so much more than that. And so Maslow says that we need, of course, basic things like food and shelter and clothing, but that's at the big bottom part of the pyramid. That's the given, we all get that. We know those basic needs of things that we need in order to survive. As the pyramid begins to move up in his hierarchy of needs, what happens though is things like safety and security and unity and loving relationships become an actual human need. Human beings, essentially folks, have this nagging sense of needing significance. We need to do something that seems to have meaning in the bigger picture of life. So the teacher's asking a really simple question. Does our work, does our toil, truly bring us the need of being valued and finding significance? Does work fulfill the need of something bigger in life. How many people have been an employee? A few. A couple people have worked a day in their life. They've been an employee or they've been an employer. How many people like to be valued by your employer? Yeah, how many people like to think that what they're doing for a living has some kind of significance beyond just simply earning a paycheck? Anybody who said they like to be valued already answered this question with yes. 
Because if you like to be valued, it means that you want significance in what you're doing. We all seek this value, and that's what the teacher is asking, is do we really in our toil find value and significance in our life? Do we find that significance and the fulfillment that we're seeking in our work? And here's his conclusion. We're going to back up a little bit, but I want to give you his conclusion. Solomon would say, kind of, a little bit, not really, actually no. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that's exactly how he weaves through this concept of toil and working. He would say, if you're looking for value and satisfaction in your work, you're kind of going to find it, maybe a little bit, not really. Actually, it's a gigantic facade. You won't find it at all. It's meaningless. It's Hevel. To the teacher, let me give you an image of this. To the teacher, life and work here on this planet, under the sun, the way he describes it. It's like building a sandcastle at the beach when the tide is out. We work at something all day long, and we create something, and we're super proud of it, and we think it's just absolutely beautiful. We call our parents over, and they're kind of annoyed because you know, they don't want much to do with us now. Oh, sorry, that's parenting today. Um, you know, we call our parents over and like, they're so proud of us. And we think it's beautiful. And then the tide comes in and what happens? It's gone. It's like it never existed. So within like, depending on when the tide comes in within like a seven to eight hour window of beauty, creating this beautiful creation that you've made, and, and you're proud of, it just like the tide comes in and the way the tide deals with sand is it literally just returns it back to the way it was. It's like what you just created never existed in the first place. And that is what Ecclesiastes is saying about life here on earth and the toil in which we do. Now, let me, let me unpack some of this for you a little bit. Let's go to chapter two. Some of the stuff we've gone over, it's just I gotta keep going back because there's so much uh, in this book. Chapter two, verses 17 to 21. <laughs> so I hated life. Super, super awesome, eh? So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Now listen to why he hated all the things that he worked for, that he earned, all the possessions that he has. Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows, listen really carefully, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Have you met your kids? Right? So he's saying, like, it kind of bothers me that I've done all this work and I can't take it with me and I'm just leaving it to my foolish kids. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. He says, this too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. 
For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. So he's saying like a person can be really awesome at what they do. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it at all. This, listen to what he says, this too is meaningless. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just Hevel, but it's a great misfortune. It's a great misfortune. Yes, we work to survive, folks. We work to get paid. But there's so much more to our work. Human beings work to find significance in their identity. If we are truly, actually honest, what's one of the first questions somebody asks you when you meet, when you meet a new person? What do you do? Oh, and what do you do? Right? And then we have like statuses. Right? If you're, if you're like this or you're that or da-da-da-da-da, right? Depending on where you live, right? Uh, the, the status is of, oh, they make a lot of money or, oh, they don't make much money. Like, and this is how we actually, especially in North American culture, identify our, our entire identity is actually wrapped up in what we do. What do you spend most of your time doing? Working. Right? Actually, statistically, nowadays, we spend more time working than we do sleeping. Do you know why? Because North American culture is full of workaholics, and we only average about six hours of sleep a night. We really wrap up our significance and our identity in our work, and we try to make an impact. We try to make something of it. We try to leave, you ready? Like, we try to leave our legacy. Right? We got tombstones. We got all these different things that we think make people remember us. But the book of Ecclesiastes says it won't take many generations from now and you will be forgotten. I don't mean that like in a morbid, weird kind of way. It just kind of is Hevel, isn't it? If we're truly honest, that's actually often what happens. So the teacher says that all this work that is so meaningful to you is actually Hevel. The tide will come and wash it away and no one will know it was ever there. Bet you wish you didn't come this Sunday morning, right? We're all leaving like majorly depressed and we're quitting our jobs. There's hope, there's redemption, but we gotta move into the New Testament to find exactly actually where we find our hope in our work. So hold on to the end, don't turn off. Online folks, don't, don't stop now. We'll get there. But why is the teacher doing this? Why does he say that this, this is, this is this, you know, working and working and working and saving and saving and hoarding and doing all this, and, and then I'm just going to leave it to my kids who are just going to, like they didn't even work for it. It's a great misfortune, he says. Now, isn't that in so many ways kind of actually true if we're really sort of honest with ourselves? Like we can... We can try to say we don't build our identity in our work, but we do. We save, we build up our wealth. For, for what? To just leave it to someone who didn't work for it so they can squander it. To the teacher, the reality of building our identity in our work is foolishness. 
He says that we will never get long-lasting payoff from building our identity in our toil. So you would think that the least we could do then, like if you're at a place where you're like, yeah, okay, I kind of get that, but the least that I could do is get some psychological satisfaction and enjoyment out of what I have to do each day. Well, the teacher actually deals with this in the next chunk of verses. He says, verse 22 of chapter 2, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days they work in grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So not only do we get nothing long-term out of our work, meaning you can't take it with you. So if you built your entire identity in your work, first of all, when retirement happens, how's that going to go? I, I, as a pastor, I see that all the time, people going into crisis after retirement or people refusing to retire because their whole identity is wrapped up in what they get up in the morning to do. But he says, not only are you not going to find any long-term Uh, uh, identity in that, we actually get something that we don't want from our toil, stress and anxiety. So like, what's the point? Why do we work in the first place? Well, before we get to that, let's look at one more dead end, because this dead end that the teacher is going to talk about, it's going to be what moves us into the New New Testament redemptive concept of work. And we need to deal with this dead end because there actually is some of us that can convince ourselves that, that we're not going to build our identity in our work because we understand that that won't last and we'll hold loosely onto our money and we'll find satisfaction in other things. We won't build our identity in the thing that we do called work. But the teacher takes this further to challenge that person who thinks they've arrived and gotten there. Let's jump over to chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 4. He says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement sprang from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now he he throws this little riddle in here, and we're going to unpack this in a second. He says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What did he just say there? Like, okay, so there's two key words that he uses in verse four that help us. Toil, meaning work, and achievement. He's linking those two together. We like to work because we like to achieve something. And the teacher says that all of our toil and achievements, actually what our motivation is, is a negative motivation that's quite troubling to the teacher. He says that often we're not driven even by earning today's paycheck, but because we root our identity in our work, we're actually often driven by envy. It's like the farmer down the road has a thousand acres, and if I could just get a thousand and one, right? That's actually, he says, what often drives our toil is our envy of another person's achievement. We then want to achieve more. 
to get that promotion ahead of the other coworker, to be seen as valued and to find substance in what you're doing. All of these things, he says in this passage, are often driven by envy. Now, he's not talking specifically about envy of stuff. It's more about what we're getting out of it. So what our core motivation is for why we work in the first place. He's saying that there's a sense of jealousy and insecurity embedded in our motivation for finding significance in our work. Now, this is the human way, isn't it? We're incredibly insecure in ourselves and our insecurities often drive all of these different identity crises. Like just spend a little bit of time with a teenager, right? They're in major identity crisis and then we just end up being bigger teenagers who have a new identity crisis, but it's caught up in our envy and our achievement that we envy from others. Now remember, the teacher believes that we are working to, pro- to provide ourselves with an identity and to fill the absence of value, okay? And he says that this whole concept, this envy and toiling for achievement, it's hevel because it doesn't actually work. You can't manufacture value. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll find out very quickly that the only way to find true value in life is that you have to receive it from the creator. The truth of this, where I'm getting all of this from, is actually rooted in this little riddle that's in these two verses, where he says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. When we get into the Hebrew, the original text here, there are actually three different words, that three distinct different words that we translate as hand. He uses all three of these different words each time he says hand. So this is kind of how it would read in the Hebrew. Fools fold their yod. So fools fold their yod, which is a forearm. Better is one, you ready? Kaf. Better is one kaf, open palm. Then two... Kolfen, that's where you get the, it's, it's with a K. Kolfen, which means grabbing fists. So fools fold their yod, better is one kaf than two kolfen. The yod, like I said, is the forearm, but in the Hebrew, in, Hebrew, in like Hebrew thought, to us the forearm is this part of your arm, Right? In Hebrew thought, your forearm is from here down. It includes your whole hand. And so to fold your yod is to do this. Now, do you see, you see what I'm doing? To fold your yod is to take this whole section, to go like this, but notice what my head's doing. It's an image in Hebraic thought to represent a nap. To fold your yod 
is napping. It's being lazy. Right? How many people are sitting being lazy right now? <laughs> right? To fold your yod. Okay? So the teacher is saying that being lazy is foolish, that only fools don't work. So all of you that are like, based on everything the preacher said today, I can quit my job. I'm not going to work anymore because it's all hevel anyway. It's meaningless. He's saying that if that's the way you're thinking, you're a fool. You're folding your yod. Okay? Essentially, he, like he takes it a little bit further. He would actually say that folding your yod means that you're ruining your humanity because you have nothing to do. It's like, let's put it in today's culture. So you're folding your yod, being lazy, and all you have to do when you wake up in the morning is like play video games and wait for dad to die so that you can get all his money from his work. Does this hit home with anybody? Right? This is, this is what he's saying. I mean, not video games. That's not in the text. But So fools fold, fold their yod. But he says there's another extreme. So there's the lazy and you're a fool. And then there's the other extreme. The Hebrew word for this extreme is kolfen. Kolfen. You got to get the cough in there. Which means two fistful. Hmm. Think, okay, you have to understand about Hebrew thought. It's always about images, right? So they take words and they put an image to it. So folding the yod. And then, kolfen. Picture this. Two fistful. Grabbing, right? So he's talking about work. You're either lazy, folding your yod, or you're grabbing. We have an English word for this. You're a workaholic. You're trying to get everything that you can get out of work. You're grabbing for things because you're building your identity in this. It's colfin. Two fistful. It's when we tirelessly work and work and work and we never truly get the value or satisfaction from our work because work is all you actually do. And he says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So this colfin, he says, that's chasing after the wind. You're that moron standing outside trying to catch the wind. And everybody else who's resting is watching you. So lazy, foolishness, colfin, workaholic, chasing after the wind. So according to the teacher, it's bad not to work and it's bad to work all the time and build your identity in that work. Working for your identity and your self-worth, he says, is rooted in insecurity. So the teacher says that there's a better option and it's found in the Hebrew word, this little riddle, kaf, which means open palm. It literally means in this passage that you are working from a place of rest. Now, doesn't that sound weird? 
The teacher says that we should work with an open-handed approach to life because we can't control all the outcomes. Remember that sermon? And we'll never find our true identity in working all the time. So instead, he says to work from a place of rest. Now remember, Ecclesiastes is not trying to give us answers to all of life's problems. If anything, he's simply just calling on us to be honest honest about things. But the New Testament, remember, Ecclesiastes is just one book in this great book. The New Testament helps us to understand this concept of working from a place of rest. So Ecclesiastes has taken us to the place where he says, the place where you're going to find true satisfaction, eat, drink, and cough. Work from this place of rest and you will find satisfaction. The New Testament has to help us here. Matthew chapter 11. A lot of you are probably super familiar with this passage, but I think moving from Ecclesiastes and that little riddle, we're now going to understand a little deeper what Jesus is actually saying here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Ecclesiastes would say, You're weary and you carry a heavy burden when you're a workaholic or you're lazy, right? Weary, heavy burden. And I, what does he say? Will give you rest. Okay, hear what he's saying here. Working from a place of rest. What does he now do? Take my yoke. What's a yoke? Something farmers work with. They put it on an oxen. It's a tool for work. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Work from a place of rest by working in Jesus, because it's the only place you'll find The rest. Jesus is the only one that can bring us true rest. He's the only one who can bring us to the understanding of our true identity, which is built in him. This is the human error that we make. We're building our identity in all of the wrong places. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, find rest in me and then live under my yoke and then toil. So when he calls us to come and to find rest in him, he's actually addressing exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is lamenting about. Jesus is giving us the answer. We have spent most of our lives toiling for our identity and our self-worth, yet it can only be found by giving our burdens to Jesus. He will give us rest, and we need to work from this place of rest. This is why he's using this, this tool the farmer has of a yoke being the example, because a yoke is big and heavy and burdensome. 
And the New Testament shows us that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we learn that work is not what brings us our identity. Instead, our identity needs to be built in Christ. And so if you're finding your identity in your title of your job, you will live a meaningless life. And you will not take it with you, and you will be forgotten. If that's everything you got, if that's the choice you make, the, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, this wise king who's got way more than we'll ever have, is saying, eh, that was a waste. But when we root our life in Jesus and we take his yoke upon us and we lay our burdens to him and we begin to build our identity in him, Everything about our motive about work changes. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says. And whatever you do. Now, in the original Greek language, this is a really forceful statement. He doesn't say, and in stuff when you have time. He doesn't say, like, when you can fit me in after you've done all your work and all the places you build your identity and da-da-da-da-da. He's literally saying, Whatever you do, whether it's breathe, walk, work, in whatever you do or say. So your whole state of being in whatever you do or you say, he says, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you want to find your true identity, you're not going to find it the way that King Solomon tried. If you see that through Ecclesiastes, Pastor Tamil dealt with parts of chapter 2, right? He built big houses. He made all the money in the world. He had lots of wives, which I don't really understand. But anyway, uh, like it, there's pros and cons, right? Like He did it all. And his reflection is simply this. That was Hevel. But the New Testament, Jesus says, I can take your Hevel when you rested in me, when your motivation is rooted in me, when everything that you do is me, when I'm your motivation to get up in the morning, to go to work, when you're at work and you're a farmer working the land, Where's that land come from? Don't forget. Right? Like you, we, we've got a couple of farmers here. You guys know you only have so much control, right? Like, like the, the, the people who grow stuff, you know, those guys that come and tell you what to do with your field to make better things happen, da, 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 da. We can help it along the way. But when push comes to shove, I don't know about you. You guys are pretty powerful men. But I don't think either of you can make it rain. You can like install irrigation. You can try to manipulate all the, the right? But like farming relies on the creator of the heavens and the earth. And everything that we do in life is actually rooted back to that, folks. And so when we're trying to find our self-worth and trying to build who we are and trying to build our empire, that is just rooted in the lies of the world. You see, your money, the Bible would say, is not your money anyway. The government would say it's theirs, and God would say it's his. 
So why do we think like, this is mine? I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hoard it, right? And then it says to give your first fruits away. Why? As an act of obedience. But we don't even do that. We like hoard that and we did, right? We build our entire identity off of these things. And he's not saying like, this is the richest man in the world. And in no way is he saying like, don't be rich. This isn't what he's addressing in Ecclesiastes. He's saying, don't build your identity in these things. And then Jesus, it's all hevel. And then Jesus comes along and says, build your identity in me and you will find a joy and a peace that you've never experienced in your life before. And so wake up tomorrow morning ready to toil because you're a fool if you don't. But do everything for Jesus. Every moment, not just this moment at church, not just, we don't give God moments of our life. We give God all of our life. Every moment needs to be centered in him. Travis, you can join me up here. We do everything with Jesus at the center because he, remember last week, he is the beginning and the end. He is our Lord, he is our King, he is our employer. He is the one in whom we toil for. The only way that you'll be able to find true life is living a Jesus-centered life. Last week I talked about what that looks like, an others-centered life. You can go back and listen to that. Until then, folks, we're just either Yod or Colfin. We're chasing after the wind or we're a fool. Or we can find true life in Jesus because Jesus takes the hevel out of our life.